0: Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights, and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice.
1: In a world where traditional reach and attention is diminishing, brands are looking for cut through and engagement, and that is all about brands driving relevance and ultimately accelerating their growth now obviously, through sponsorship, rights holders help brands access an audience they would otherwise find it hard to access or would not be able to access as cost effectively We all know that being a sponsor and simply logo slapping is no longer enough, and it hasn't been for a while and that's why. Creative in Sponsorship is one area where brands can really activate their sponsorships, get cut through and engagement and use that to drive relevance and growth. What is, however, the process of Creative in Sponsorship? What part can it play in activation? How can brands and rights holders bring it to life? And what are the pitfalls along the way? And the perfect person to answer those questions is Misha Sher, Global Head of Sport, Entertainment and Culture at Mediacom based in London. Following a successful launch in the US and Australia, Mediacom has been rolling out their platform known as Creative Systems globally. We have entered a new era of creativity where relevance sits at the heart of every brand's growth agenda. But to drive relevance requires different ways of working and a transformed combination of creative solutions. Mediacom's Creative Systems helps brands see the bigger picture by bringing together media and creative to drive brand relevance and accelerate growth. Ultimately, it's designed to make marketing comms work better for people. As Creative Systems rolls out globally, Misha is able to share some of the interesting trends and insights he and the team have seen so far that are relevant to sponsorship. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you're listening to episode 97, brought to you by Core Software. It is great to have you listening to this episode, whether you're a long-time listener or you're new to the show. I trust all is well in your sponsorship world. And shout-out time, but I'm disappointed. You all know how much I love giving shout-outs, but no one has shot me an email or sent me a message on LinkedIn for a shout-out. So I don't have any shout-outs to give. So for the next episode, if you'd like a shout-out, then... I'd love to give you one, so please be sure to connect on LinkedIn and say hi, and I will make that happen for you. But now, it's time to welcome Jordan Rutner, Research Marketing Manager at Core Software, who joins us to talk about one of Core's latest blogs, Building a Sustainable Sponsorship Department. Here's Jordan. Jordan, welcome to the show again. Great to have you back. I love the title and the focus of this topic, which is Building a Sustainable Sponsorship Department. What prompted you to be thinking about this topic and get your thoughts down in a blog?
0: Businesses in general have to be flexible and adapt to how the world is changing. And now that we're halfway through 2021, we've seen just some tremendous changes from organizations uh, across the world. not necessarily just sports, entertainment, brands. Uh, People are pivoting and they're adjusting to the needs of their customers, their employees, and overall just stakeholders. Uh, so we wanted to dive into what we commonly see in the sports and entertainment industry about how these teams and, and companies really just start with their sponsorship department structure, and then they evolve over time to their changing business. needs.
1: And so what, what sort of things have you, you seen with the work that you do with clients? What sort of organizations are coming to the fore?
0: Overall, they really do fall into about two different categories. And those are being uh, some of the leaner structures versus somebody that might be a little more broad.
1: With two general frameworks like that among sponsorship departments, so as you said, lean and broad, let's unpack those a little bit and see what they look like. What, what does a lean sponsorship department look like?
0: A lean sponsorship and department structure would be fairly vertical and really just have a couple splits uh, leading up to the head of sponsorship. So we would have a few salespeople, a few account managers, uh, leading up to their respective directors, and then overall leading to the head of sponsorship. Um, The salespeople and account managers, of course, working hand in hand on the day-to-day delivery of what is involved with these sponsorship deals. Uh, And then of course, the directors making sure that the goals are being met, reporting up uh, throughout the organization. Uh, One of the key differences though with this lean module Is really how they rely on other departments too. Um, There might be a resource potentially in IT or business intelligence that sponsorship might have to ask um, for some help, especially from the data perspective. Uh, So there could be a little bit of overlap there. um, But overall, a lean structure is going to be very goal specific for what they're uh, chasing after, and then also working across departments to help achieve all those goals.
1: I'd imagine that a lean structure also allows an
0: organization to save on costs. Save on costs. Uh, The people in the lean structures would definitely have a wider resume afterwards, just because they'll be wearing a lot of different hats. Um, But it definitely has its advantages, uh, just depending on how the entire organization is built, of course.
1: Of course, saving costs is always top of mind for a lot of organizations, and, and that will pique listeners' interest. But to contrast that, with the other type of setup that you mentioned in a sponsorship department, broad departments. Talk us through that.
0: These broader departments are really reserved for some of the larger global brands. Uh, The two that come to mind for us are being FC Barcelona and the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Even though they're in such completely different markets, they both have both the vast resources and a large enough market to tap into that they need to have those extra resources uh, on staff a little bit closer to the goal rather than relying on uh, perhaps a different department. Uh, So some of these large international brands, they could potentially invest in a regional office uh, that follows under the same umbrella, Uh, but then they could also have, like we were talking about the Leaned module, they could have some of these um, analytics and data folks under their uh, sponsorship umbrella so that they can get a little bit more specific requests in there. Um, They won't be competing as much with other departments too. And it would really just, I mean, it's not for everybody, of course, uh, but these different tiers and different verticals that they have leading up towards one goal definitely allows for such greater expansion. But then again, that's a very different size budget than the lean one.
1: (laughs) Well, as we've heard, we've spoken about lean and broad structures. Are there any impacts, Jordan, on, on the decision-making within those types of organisations or structures that, that maybe need to be considered if we're thinking about let's go lean or let's go broad, or even we're already lean and broad, we need to be aware of some of the impacts on decision-making.
0: That, that's a great point, Daniel. The decision-making is definitely impacted very differently between these two departments, uh, mostly because of the limitation or the ability to have the shared resources across the organisation. Um, One of the things in particular about sponsorship deals, and we actually discussed this uh, about the March Madness and the college uh, sports sponsorship uh, piece, that these sponsorship deals have a lot of different assets where the partnership sponsorship department might be relying on the ticketing department to really interact with because there are some hospitality assets in there potentially. Um, Some things could also include broadcasting, so then they might have to work with um, some of the journalists associated with the team, uh, the entire broadcasting department. And that type of cross-department collaboration has an immense impact on the decision-making for you know personnel and then also organizational goals.
1: And I'd also imagine that it impacts the speed at which decisions can be made, whether you've got autonomy if you're lean or if you're broad, might have to go through multiple levels of decision-making process.
0: Oh, not even that, just also how available all are these other resources. If um, the ticketing department is slammed for a big rivalry game or something, then we have to consider the impact of what some of these sponsorship deals have too. So
1: we've got Lean, we've got Broad. That's within a rights holder in their sponsorship department. What about the flip side, Jordan? The brand side, uh, are there any insights on the organisation
0: of sponsorship teams on the brand side that you can share with us? Now, these brands have... A very interesting structure. And what I mean by that is they really have an entire dedicated team uh, for potentially each of their verticals. So when we're thinking of some of these brands, they could be large multimedia companies that are uh, an official or a proud partner of a team, but they're not just sponsoring one team potentially. They could have a portfolio of multiple assets, events, festivals, concerts sporting events, of course, and each of these different types of live events or overall anything that they're partnering with can have their own dedicated uh, brand strategist or project manager, if you would. Uh, So there could be multiple teams that may or may not work together just because of the different types of sponsorships that they do have in their portfolio. In addition to that, when it comes to the size of the brands, that's going to vary, of course, just for how many are out there. Uh, we see tens of thousands of brands uh, coming through the sports and entertainment space every single year, and that is just across every level too. And that's where a lot of brands will, go, will work hand-in-hand hand with an agency or a third party that'll also have an entire staff dedicated to some of these sponsorship goals. Um, so there are a lot of hands on deck when it comes to the brand space.
1: Yes, indeed. Great chat, Jordan, but wrap it up for us. What would you say are some of the key takeaways or or the things for the listeners to remember from this chat?
0: Establishing your business goals is definitely the number one thing and also understanding the amount of resources that you have available. Those are some big internal conversations that would need to be had before really going into structuring for the first time or restructuring your department. So definitely resource allocation is a huge driver in this decision-making.
1: Excellent chat, Jordan. Some really interesting thoughts around building a sustainable sponsorship department, obviously on both sides of the fence. Of course, listeners, as always, to read the blog in full, in slow time, in your own time, simply head along to the resources section at coresoftware.com. And interestingly, you'll find some diagrams that have outlined and show both the lean and the broad sponsorship department structures, which will definitely help your understanding on this topic. Jordan Rutner, thanks for coming on the show again. Thanks for having me
0: again. Talk to you again soon.
1: In a world where traditional reach and attention is diminishing, brands are looking for cut through and engagement. And that is all about brands driving relevance and ultimately accelerating their growth. Obviously, through sponsorship, rights holders help brands access an audience they would otherwise find hard to access or would not be able to access as cost-effectively. And we all know that being a sponsor and simply logo slapping is no longer enough, and it hasn't been for a while. We have entered a new era of creativity where relevance sits at the heart of every brand's growth agenda. But to drive relevance requires different ways of working and a transformed combination of creative solutions. And that's why creative in sponsorship is one area where brands can really activate their sponsorships, get cut through and engagement, and use that to drive relevance and growth. What is, however, the process of creative in sponsorship? What part can it play in activation? How can brands and rights holders actually bring it to life? And what are the pitfalls we need to be aware of along the way? And the perfect person to answer those questions is Misha Sher, Global Head of Sport, Entertainment and Culture at Mediacom based in London. Here's Misha. Misha, welcome to the show. We always start off with an icebreaker question or two just to get the show going, just to ease into it, have a little bit of fun, and for the listeners really to get to know you a little bit before we get into the serious stuff. And considering we are here to chat about creative, your first icebreaker question is something fun I thought would be to ask is, tell us about the first ever TV commercial you can remember seeing as a kid.
2: Well, first of all, good to be with you. I was looking forward to this the first commercial it has to be be like mike by Gatorade I'm an immigrant I came over to the US in in early 90s so this was a real sort of this is jordan in his you know jordan in his pump and if you think about if you think about the the nature of the ad and you know the he was the sort of the, he represented the, the the greatness right the all american superstar the athlete um and the way that Gatorade Capture that in a, you know in an ad. I just thought was 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 phenomenal. I was never really growing up that much into you know growing up in in Soviet Union. When I did, I wasn't really into basketball. I was really into football and into soccer. Um, but Jordan is you know was when I when I came to the U.S. was one of these was one of these guys you couldn't you couldn't not love. Um, and I just I just thought everything about the Bulls and NBA and Jordan Brand and. So, you know, to this day, I could still, you know, I still have this, you know, Be Like Mike song in my head. So, and obviously they've done some remakes of that over the years, but I just thought it was, you know, it's an it was an incredible, um, it was an incredible creative at a, at, a, at a very special time.
1: Yeah, classic ad, and you can hear it rolling around in your head, and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah,
0: right? Yes. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it was back in the days when you used to get Gatorade in a glass bottle with a little pop lid. In a
0: glass bottle, yes.
1: Outstanding. Now, Misha, your second icebreaker question is, what type of work makes up the happiest part of your day?
2: I think there are two types of activities of work that I really enjoy. First is brainstorming ideas. Um, I love that. I love getting into a room with colleagues and and brainstorming how we're going to tackle, uh, you know, certain challenges for our clients. Right. So you know, this 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 feeling of creating something coupled with the energy of everyone's input, for me is a real is a is a perfect cocktail. Um, and I I just enjoy the variety the variety of the work the nature of what we do. It's not just, it's not quote unquote sponsorship or just sport, for example. It's about how do we, how do we help our clients be more embedded in, you know, in culture? Oftentimes that that is sport, but sometimes it's music and sometimes it's film and so on. So, you know, one minute we could be, we could be discussing building a, let's say a gaming strategy for, you know, for a retail brand, right? How do we, uh, how do we help this client leverage this, this cultural phenomenon of gaming And help to connect people through that help to connect with them in that environment and and the next hour we could be talking to to one of our luxury clients about creating an original netflix uh documentary or docuseries uh, for netflix it's fascinating because in a space of a couple hours i'm exposed just you know just to so much you know just so many ideas and and it's a really sort of dynamic it's a really dynamic environment, which I really, you know, which I really enjoy because it's it feels to me like no no two days are you know no two days are the same, and the other part which I haven't really, uh, which many of us, not you guys in Australia for for most of the year, but you know for us um, you know the one part I've I've missed over the past twelve months is just seeing clients and partners in in person. I love people, you know there's a connection and energy that can only be created, I think when you are interacting with someone in person. and I've really missed that over the past twelve months. you know it was always a highlight of my day or highlight of my week. I was seeing someone who is particularly creative or who works let's say in the in the in the fashion industry or in the sports industry and you walk away and you're and you're and you're so stimulated and you're so excited about the conversation and 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 I just I've always felt that. It's a part of my it's 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 one element of my of this industry and of my job that I really enjoy is the ability to to meet so many fascinating people. Those probably the those are probably my favorite parts of the day when I could when I can have both of them.
1: I love how it sounds like you feed off the variety and the challenge and the people. It sounds like an amazing trilogy to be able to work with that. Now, Misha, I want to set the scene across my next two questions. So firstly in a world where traditional reach and attention it's diminishing, right? What role do you think sponsorship can ultimately play to help brands stay front of mind for consumers?
2: Well, great question because I think every single brand in the world is having this issue now. Um, without you know, without question, maybe maybe Nike aren't or Apple aren't, but majority of all other brands, and it's because we're. Look, we're living in this in a in a relevance economy where brands are you know competing for people's time. Right, that's what you know. That's what it is. There was a there was a quote maybe in the last year or eighteen months. There was a quote from a Netflix executive that said that referenced the fact that they compete with, they see Fortnite as a bigger competitor to their business than than Amazon, HBO and and Hulu combined and Disney uh, included in that. So. They are, you know, what this says to me is that these, these, I guess, these lines that we used to be able to draw and the way that we used to connect with people—they, you know—they are disappearing, right? So all of these worlds are converging. So, you know, sponsorship—you know, when we, if you talk about, go back to your question, you talk about sponsorship—it provides brands with an opportunity, part of an experience, without interrupting it. So that's, you know, is the biggest benefit. So. But you know they have to be able to they have to be able to contribute to that experience because it's it's the it's the brands that can that can contribute to the culture of their customers ultimately or the fans that are ultimately winning that battle for attention that we just know that you referenced in your you know in your question um, they become high interest they generate positive you know social currency they, and ultimately they add to the aspects of their. Of the fans, or you know, of customers' lives that relate to you know their identity and status, so you know they are elevated in culture, you know, as a result. So I think sponsorship is an interesting space because it gives you that entry point. It gives you sort of this this very very rich playground in which to in which to engage with people again in a way that's that isn't a pre-roll or that isn't in some way interrupting what they're doing. So if you can find a way to be part of an experience and enhance that experience then it's a, you know then it's you're on to, um you're hopefully on to a winner
1: a hundred percent agree now misha secondly as we heard in the intro following a successful launch in the us and australia creative systems is being rolled out globally across the entire media network Tell us what exactly is Creative Systems, and it'd be great to hear about why you're so excited about its rollout.
2: Well, I'm really excited about Creative Systems because, first of all, it's something we've been working on for the last eighteen months now, so it's been a long time coming, and and obviously we've just launched, but we've we've been we've soft launched it in 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 US and Australia, and it's been it's been incredible. And ultimately, what it is, you know, to answer your question, what it is is we we are we are aiming to bring together media and creative, together with data and technology. You know, over the years, a lot of these areas have been separated. You have your creative agency, you've got your media agency, and there was a period in time where that appeared to work. But I think that's as as the time went on, that doesn't that doesn't work anymore. That sort of separation no longer works because. you know brands brands at the minute have a serious relevance problem that's the, that's if you look at if you look at real issues or sort of how do they how do they how do they grow a lot of that is down to how relevant they are in people's lives and and majority of brands have got a relevance issue so and and creating ads isn't going to solve that that's the truth creating more ads isn't going to solve that so Um, we've seen studies because everything we are, we're doing and everything we're developing, we want to make sure it's rooted in data and in insights. And we've seen studies by Accenture that demonstrate that 77% of brands uh, could disappear tomorrow and no one would care. Think about that, right? 77% of brands could disappear and no one would blink, you know, would would blink an eyelid and 58%. Right. So two thirds, almost two thirds uh, of consumers think that content from brands is totally irrelevant to them. Right. So that's a that's a big problem. If you take a step back. That's a big problem, because what this ultimately leads to is this relevance issue that is directly impacting growth. You know, and then you look you look further and you think, right, well, why is it impacting growth and why is relevance such an issue? Well, you know, 25 percent of purchase decisions are down to cultural cultural relevance. So every CEO and CMO is going to be concerned about how do they make sure that they are culturally, you know, culturally relevant at a time when what we're seeing, what we were seeing being in a media agency is that the content that is being produced is neither fit for the audience nor the platform for which they engage. Right. So that's kind of you know that's where the you know, that's where the idea of, of creative systems is you have this you have this total disconnect where ads are being made and more content is being made, but it's not really sort of keeping up with the way that the media is evolved, right? And the reality is that media is a lot more, these days, is a lot more addressable than it ever used to be. But when it's not addressable, you've got all this content that is not fit for purpose, going out on platforms where people aren't. So we want to solve that problem with creative systems. We are fortunate with Mediacom that as a media agency that we have, you know, we have have access to this incredible, you know, incredible insights when it comes to consumer behavior and, you know, what people people engage with and what platforms they're on and, and what kind of creative they engage with and so on. So we want to be able to bridge this gap. We want to bring these elements together and not work against creative agencies, not at all. But work much closer with creative agencies to make sure that the type of work and the type of content that we are creating is not just, you know, it's not just 30 second ads, but it's actually, you know, it's it's the, it's the type of creative and type of content that people genuinely genuinely want to engage with. And we do that by having creative systems, which has three main components, which is what is our, is a cultural relevance pillar, platform relevance, and personal relevance. So, and we think, look, if you have, if you think about cultural relevance, everything from sport and entertainment to influencer marketing to brand entertainment to gaming, a lot of times in sponsorship, that's the jump off point, right? So that's where we sort of, that's where we tap into culture, but then it's how do you actually take that in the right? How do you think of it, think of it in terms of a bigger picture and, and make sure that you are you are then creating great content for the, at, the, at the right for the right people at the right time and how you sort of deliver that that's where that's the idea behind creative systems how do we ultimately drive relevance to accelerate growth and it's working really well for us so far so good Well, it
1: sounds very exciting and and certainly an opportunity to create more relevant and engaging content, which, as you said a couple of times, a lot of brands are challenged to buy. As I mentioned, the global rollout follows a successful launch in the US and Australia. Misha, what are some of the cool trends or insights that you've seen so far that might be relevant to sponsorship?
2: I think one of the more important ones is is for brands not to start with the answer. I think times what I've found in my many years in sponsorship is that you know, you think I want to invest in AFL or I think cricket is cricket is the place to be, or I think NFL is, is the place to be a work backwards. And that's where a lot of the, that's where you run into a lot of problems, because I think if you look at, the, if you look at some of the data that we found as it relates to sponsorship is that over 50% of decision investment decisions, have no strategic input or no strategic direction at all, right? And I've seen that in my experience. So you say, well, and if, you know, Formula One is the answer, what's the question? And I think it has to be, if you really want to be impactful in sponsorship, you've got to ask, you've got to start with the questions. You've, gotta, you've got to ask right questions to be able to get to the right output and the right solution, and that's the way that you win. And that's the way that we're approaching things with clients. We're saying to them, look, don't think of NFL as the answer, or don't think of uh, Live Nation or any of these. Think about what is the what is the most impactful way that we can show up in culture. Um, and again, using a lot of the data and insights that we have around the consumers, around the category, uh, around the competitors, we can identify. What you know exactly the types of the the types of sponsorships or partnerships that can deliver that that's that's fundamental. Uh, so rather than rather than thinking in terms of I have the solution and I just need the rationale, the, you know that what we're seeing and the trends of where we're having a lot of success is helping clients look at look at things in a different way and just say, let's think about let's think about these problems holistically. let's think about let's let's ask the right questions what does what does the north star look for look like for us and we will then go and identify the types of properties that help us of sponsorships uh, that help us you know help us deliver that and the other trend is really around is around execution because I think traditionally sponsorship has been quiet or sponsorship industry has been relatively poor in the in how it actually brings a lot of these partnerships to life and, you know and now what we're seeing and a lot of the work we're doing is you know how we can innovate in terms of collaborations in terms of platforms in terms of technology and so on again this is where creative systems thinking comes in because we're thinking about the whole sort of this whole sort of ecosystem, where where people are actually going to engage, uh, you know, with this type, potentially engage with this partnership. So rather than having it sitting in a silo, and when you're speaking, and 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 speaking to uh, a relatively small number of people infrequently, we can create this really powerful system. And that can be accelerated through influencers, through technology and, and uh, you know, other, other types of collaborations that, that totally elevate this partnership, to, sponsorship to a whole new level. So those are the types of things that were trends that we're seeing and, and the appetite from a lot of clients to go beyond what they've done in the past and think about what's new and next and exciting.
1: What about creative, Misha? You mentioned how so often we still start with the answer in sponsorship instead of starting to ask the right questions, which you're clearly working hard on. And in the same vein, you spoke about how there's still so much poor execution in sponsorship. So let's talk about the use of creative in sponsorship. And as a quick definition, I suppose I'm talking about the imagery and the colors and the tone and the wider look and feel of something that ends up in an image or or maybe a video. How well would you say that we, as a sponsorship industry, use creative?
2: Not well. (laughs) Overall, I don't think they do a good job. Can 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 certainly be improved. But I'm not sure that I would necessarily define creative in that way, if I'm honest, Dale. So for me, creative is all about how our brand leverages a sponsorship to create content or experience that, that can compete for people's time. That's what that's ultimately what it's down to for me. So it's not about free roll, social media, you know, and so on. It's about creating something that is greater than the sum of its parts. Asking yourself the question, has it delivered for the audience? Has it delivered for the brand? Um, you know, that's the question. And I find that most times um, in my experience, that brands aren't thinking about how their creative delivers anything for the audience. They think about wanting to reach people. They want it to be they want they're they're interested in in the frequency of their message, in the eyeballs and being everywhere. but they but rarely do they ask the question, what's it actually doing for people that I'm trying to connect with? What value am I bringing here? With everything else that they could, they could be doing at, that, at any given time, why would they want to engage with whatever it is I'm putting in front of them? And I just don't think that that question is, is, is being asked often enough in the, you know, in either in the creative process or in the execution process. Because I think if it was, what we find is that actually a lot of that content is not interesting. It's not engaging. It doesn't add anything to the experience, and, and which begs the question, why would you do it?
1: Misha, sponsorship is typically not the only channel a brand is spending its marketing budget on. How important is it that we're, as sponsorship managers on the brand side, able to keep the creative consistent across all of the different channels that we're engaged with, including sponsorship, or can, can sponsorship sort of operate off to the side and be a little bit more flexible?
2: No you you can't be inconsistent when it comes to sponsorship because your consumers don't see sponsorship and say oh that's different than what they're doing over here I mean ultimately sponsorship is just another way in which you want you as a brand want to reinforce your message and come across in a certain and come across in a certain way so I think the creative can vary absolutely we don't expect the same type of creative that we see everywhere but I think what needs to stay consistent is the ethos and the message that you're trying to get across? What are you trying to say about your about your brand? Because you know, most successful. When I think about most successful brands in the world, whether that in in, in our space, you know, be that um, let's say it's Mastercard, I think do a great job, or it's Heineken. You know, what do they what do they have? They have a they have a the common thread is that the creative and the, and the consistency with which it's reinforced. Um, is very, very strong. And on the up, you know on the on the flip side, if you don't have a strong creative, or if you're saying different things to different people all the time, it's very, very hard for you. you can't expect people who are inundated with with uh, information these days to to decipher and figure out exactly what it is you want them to take away, right? So, i think it's important that you know if you look at nike and how they communicate it's brilliant because it's simple and it's consistent and it's reinforced and it's reinforced and it's reinforced now not everybody can be nike right i mean they're 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 brilliant at what they do and they have a very unique they operate in a very unique space in terms of the product but i think we can learn a lot from the way that they communicate and how they consistently reinforce what they want to say so there is there's a really, there's a very, very clear connection with to, between the brand and the consumer in terms of what they're trying to say.
1: And what about the flip side? Give us your thoughts on if there's inconsistent creative across different channels and particularly if it pops up in, in sponsorship, how bad is that for the brand? What's the outcome on consumers there?
2: I think it's damaging. I think it actually does more damage than not having sponsorship at all. I go back to my earlier point about competing for people's time. If we're able to break through the clutter, do we want to make our message simple and impactful or do we want to say different things and hope that the individual figures out, you know, figures things out for themselves? Just cutting through, just getting on people's radar, it's so, so difficult today. Um, There's so many things competing for their attention. So when you do that, when you have got their attention, what do you want to say? And how would you want to reinforce consistently that, that sort of experience? Because ultimately, the ability to make that message and reinforce that message, affinity. Otherwise, you're just you're just showing up, and and you're not really saying anything, and you're not really making any kind of message that uh, that is differentiated. It will make you, will will drive will drive consideration in the um, in the minds of the people that you want to connect with. So I just think. If you're not going to take the time and genuinely engage with people in a, in a, in a consistent way, then it's not worth doing it at all.
1: Let's see if we can get some real magic out of your brain here, Misha, because in a broader sense, most top tier rights holders have a big sponsor portfolio. If you're looking after one of those brands as a sponsorship manager how do you help them cut through the clutter and make sure that the message is seen or heard above others in what is a really, really crowded sponsorship landscape? Especially when we consume sport on screens.
2: First of all, I think this is going to change, but I think this is the case because sports sponsorship, for a long, long time, has been largely used to drive unaided awareness. That's that's what it's been designed to do, or that's what it's relied on for so you know for so many years. But Um, so I think many brands don't think about activating what they're actually doing because so, so having invested in, having invested in inventory that is seen on broadcast, they don't support it with much of anything else. I think the, 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 what we always, what we always reinforce to clients is the, it's how important it is to think of investment and sponsorship as a whole. And when I say as a whole, I mean, what you invest in rights. And what you would then have to invest in activating, creating experiences, creating content and really bringing that partnership to life, which by the way, oftentimes can, can cost as much as you would have invested in the original in, in the sponsorship itself. So the key here is to, is to understand that at the very, very beginning, a lot of clients don't, a lot of clients will spend, you know, let's say five, six, seven million on a partnership. And then when you explain to them, you actually, to make that work, by the way, you're in Formula One, there are a hundred logos on any given weekend flying around. You cannot, you cannot expect to be, to be seen or to be elevated above, above anyone else, unless you're actively engaging, in, engaging with people. So I think the, the key here is all down to, you know, is activation, investing, investing in activation having clear understanding of what you want to do in that environment knowing the audience and going back to my earlier point creating something in that environment that is that truly adds value to you know to the experience that people are having and i think that's again when i look at some of the best examples there's a great example uh, i often use where Heineken have done in you know for example with Champions League so they recognize that a lot of people who are watching Champions League are men, right? And while it's supposed to be a, a social experience where we're all together and watching the game and enjoying it as a social occasion, something like 75% of us are actually at home watching the game by ourselves. So but they also, at the same time, they understood that because of this, we're on a second device and we're interacting with our friends and we're trying to basically recreate some sort of social construct. So they create a second screen activation, if you want to call it, or a second screen platform called, I think it's called, it was called on the sofa or something like that. And they bring in talent and they, in some of the, some of the most iconic players, and they basically recreate an entire social sort of environment, which was, which, before was missing right so they're getting to the core of what is actually going on with this property the champions league the people that we're trying to connect with what's happening with them and then they think about themselves as a brand and they think okay us as a as a beer brand one that brings people together what are we doing what are we doing to uh you know to bring something to this environment and this is what they create so i think for for me, that's a perfect example of you know using sponsorship to really you know to add value and to and to um, and to reinforce what makes the brand so um, so unique with that audience. And I think that's largely missing. If I think about our you know I think about our industry, and can be improved.
1: You mentioned how for so long sponsorship has been about awareness and you spoke about some great points around activation and particularly the costs to make a sponsorship work and activate it properly. You mentioned the example of F1 and logos, but in sponsorship, we often talk about the death of just simply logo slapping, where we just see rights holders slapping their sponsors' logos on uniforms and, and signage and websites, et cetera. But when we still look at a lot of sponsorship deals, it is still primarily logo-based, The the at least the out-facing ones that we get to see. Why do you think, as an industry, we still use a logo as that primary branding asset in sponsorships?
2: Because I think for a lot of companies, the you know their concern with so much there's so much competition now for people's time. They have to stay top of mind, right? So being making sure that people see people actually see their brand is important. They want to be able to reinforce that sort of familiarity, you know, familiarity with the brand. I also think um, we are we're going through an interesting time now in our industry because for you know for the past twenty years that type of inventory has been the, the most premium inventory that you can get, right? Because so much of that is about TV visibility. There wasn't, you used to say, well, you have uh, TV visible signage and then you can have some you know, tickets and social media and so on. Because those, you know, there's the other areas, when we talk about digital and social and so on, they weren't so developed. It wasn't as sophisticated as it, as, as it is today. That's why there's so much so much uh value and onus was put on 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 assets that you see on tv whereas now we know that's not the case we know what the way that people engage with sport fans are the amount of time they spent on in other on other channels on social media and engaging before in in the run-up to the game and post game and so on there are many many opportunities to to connect with them in, in other types of environments, right? Other than just, just other than showing your logo during that 60 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever, whatever the length of the like, length of the contest happens to be. So I think this is changing now. And you you're seeing a lot of rights holders going through this transformation, this this I guess digital transformation. Where they're creating different types of inventory, different types of assets, because that's what's necessary these days. That's what's required. So that's that that's an evolution that's taken place. I think it's just that I think Covid has certainly accelerated that because in, in many cases, you know some of the some of the some of the events were called off altogether. Um, they've had to, rights holders have had to find ways to quickly build up other types of, uh, other ty- other ways of connecting with people. So I think as time goes on, you'll see that sponsorship will certainly evolve into other areas and, and they'll become much more important.
1: One of the offerings through your product, Creative Systems, is creative analytics. Misha, why is it so important to stay on top of how creative is actually performing and and it'd be great if you could let us know what you're seeing through the use of creative analytics right across the network.
2: It's a fascinating product actually creative analytics it's become, you know, over the past 12-18 months become a huge driver of our business. So let's take a step back. I mean from a, from media's I guess new vantage point there is an insight and knowledge that's at our fingertips right now with the mediation so that would have been unimaginable even a decade ago so you know we we understand sort of people's appetite for knowledge and experience their desire for breadth and depth and you know entertainment news you know sports you know every passion and interest that we invest our time in so you know the power of purpose and how this is basically changing the world around us and with this comes this new era in creating storytelling that's inspired by you know by media data and technology so there's this opportunity for creative ideas um, to connect with culture far beyond advertising. So for those creative ideas to be inspired by the most intimate knowledge of, uh, of people and the platforms that they love. This is where this, the creative analytics comes from, right? So if we understand what people really like, you know, where they're consuming that content, what they share, how they engage with it, then we can be much more effective at serving the types of creative that people will, you know, are much more likely to engage with. So, um, you know, for us, it's the sort of creativity itself to be driven by behavior. So, making stories, helping brands make stories that that people want to engage with, that to fit to fit the time, the place, and the environment that people will engage in and appreciate.
1: Misha, good creative will lead to good return on investment. And as you mentioned before, COVID saw us really focus in, maybe double down on all things digital. And to be fair, it clearly isn't going to stop being hugely important. Digital, it's not going away anytime soon and it'll mature even further. Following on from your advice around why creative is important, what advice would you have for brands who who want to see good return on investment on their sponsored digital content with their properties that they're sponsoring?
2: The biggest advice I have is just take the time to understand the needs and wants of people you want to engage. It's not very difficult, and yet something that so many, you know, so many of us tend to miss. You know, ask yourself a fundamental question, which is is what you're creating something that people want to engage with? Not is it something that you want to say, not as the frequency with which you want to say it, but is it something Giving everything they have at their disposal, something that people want to engage with, because will your content be able to ultimately, I go back to the same question and, and um, or to the same comment is, will it be able to compete for their time? You know, what are you offering people in return for what is the most precious asset that they're giving you, which is their time, all right? That's the that's the most for me the, the the sort of the most fundamental question. That's where you should start, right? And if you know we, the the the, te- the test we often use, whether that's content that we're creating or the or the um, or any other type of strategies to ask, you know, if we weren't if tomorrow we weren't there, would anyone notice, right? And if no, and if the answer is well, we don't know, or if the answer is well, probably not then maybe you should go back to the drawing board because it means that you haven't really thought this through, you haven't really created something that can genuinely compete for their time and it's worth spending that time because it's ultimately how you how you cut through the clutter.
1: As we've established, digital is becoming increasingly important and, and as I said, COVID is accelerating that. Are there any trends that you're seeing across the use of imagery versus video in sponsored content at the moment
2: yes absolutely i think we've seen a huge acceleration in in the rise of video content and that's for good reason because it's far more effective than imagery as a matter of fact i believe video content is far more engaging than any any type of content and some of the some of the data that we looked at recently show that i think on on platforms like instagram and this is by the way this is pretty consistent across the board it might not be exactly the same but let's say if you look at if you look at something like Instagram which is one of the bigger platforms where people interact video content attracts three times more engagement than any other type of content so it's uh, you know it's what people want. It's that's why there's so much investment now in in you know cross agencies and and brands into you know into video content because that's what people um, that's what that's what ultimately engages. So yes, if the question is 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 it more effective than than imagery, for example, then absolutely.
1: COVID gave a lot of sponsoring brands and ultimately the rights holders the opportunity to sit back, to take stock and refresh their sponsorship approaches and and how they were going to do things and manage things and ultimately what they wanted to get out of their sponsorships. It feels to me like that could kind of become a a semi-regular process because people suddenly realize how important it is to take stock from time to time and, and reassess things, which is ultimately all about helping ensure return on investment. Misha, what advice do you have for a rights holder or or a brand who wants to go through a a, a refresh and and take stock and make sure they're on the right track?
2: It's very, very important to to take a step back and realize that we're going through a huge transformation at the moment. And I mentioned earlier that Netflix, um, you know, talking about a video game that is actually a bigger competitor to them, right, to their business, than someone who is a direct competitor in their category. And I think that you know I think that speaks, and that, that speaks to Real Madrid in the same way that speaks to Chicago Bulls and everyone else, because there is no separation. People aren't thinking about sport or music or entertainment. they, they just they think about how they're spending their time. right? So you have to, as a, as a sports organization, as a rights holder, you have to think about in this in this new world where this 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 convergence, where you're not necessarily competing against a, a another sports organization down the road, but you are you are ultimately this sort of in this uh, entertainment business. How are you delivering today against the needs of the people that are that are of your uh, they're are engaging with you of your fans? I think that's you know it's an important question. It's an important question to ask, and I think the one of the things I've noticed since COVID is how is how is how purpose has taken has taken a an important role in terms of how organizations need to position themselves. So it's not enough just to go out there and talk about what your ambition is on the pitch or what you've won or what your history is. I think what we're going forward, what rice holders need to demonstrate is that they have an ambition and a purpose beyond achieving on you know in. In a particular sport, that's you know that's key. I think it's it's think out thinking thinking bigger and, um, and speaking basically speaking the language of the of the consumers and of the fans and as as well as as well as the brands these days. You look at, for example, what someone like Angel City are doing in the U.S. I mean, it's phenomenal, right? They they are leading with purpose. They're an organization that says we're going to use our platform to be to drive impact in the community in, in the communities. And and they haven't even kicked a the ball. They actually don't even have a player that'll start playing until next year. And they are almost entirely sold out of their partnerships. it's because, again, because they're the the there's such a strong commitment to purpose and how they're going to basically couple social purpose and sporting purpose together is very, very powerful. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of sports or, or rice holders can learn from that in terms of in terms of moving uh you know in terms of moving forward. You know, I've already mentioned to you this importance of you know digital transformation and and understanding going forward how who your fans are and how are you going to connect with them and how are you going to enable the connection with your fans for your you know for your you know for your partners. And the last thing is really starting to shift the thinking from, you know, selling partnerships or sponsorships and becoming really outcomes focused organizations, right? Thinking about how do we ultimately uh, minimize risk for our partners and give them this, give them the peace of mind that we are going to be, you know, we're going to be in this together and we're going to be able to deliver for them the types of results that that they're looking for. You know, those are the kinds of questions I would put to rights holders. I think it's important. If you are still approaching partnerships in the same sponsorships in the same way you were 12, 18 months ago, you're gonna, you're, you're quickly going to find out that uh, you'll be left behind. You know, we've had more change in the last in the last 12 months than in the last 40 years, probably. So. You almost have to, I wouldn't say start from scratch, but you have to completely rethink in which you create inventory, package that inventory, and structure the types of partnerships that you know that will that are fit for purpose going forward, not necessarily that you used to have in the past. And if you're, you know, and if you're on the brand side, I certainly think it's worthwhile taking a step back every so often and just reevaluate the portfolio of, of various of, of various properties that you have. Because, you know, things are moving so quickly, it's worth reevaluating where you should really focus your time and energy and your resources. I think oftentimes we get into a habit of being associated with certain, uh, with certain properties for such a long time. We don't even ask the question. We just go, we just, it's a renewal, it's a renewal. You know, the, the sponsorship landscape is changing so quickly. Uh, there are, you know, there's, I, I think in many cases, there's been an evening out. Of you know the industry in terms of there are many different opportunities there are lo- there is there aren't just one or two or handful of properties that can deliver something for you there's a lot and there um there's a lot more there are sports that it used to be relevant that are more relevant now so I just think it's worthwhile taking a step back and and not uh, and allowing yourself the opportunity to think beyond what you've always done and beyond what your comp- all your competitors are doing. And thinking about what's new and next and how you can potentially, you know, lead the way somewhere else rather than continue on just uh, on the path that you've been on for, for a number of years.
1: Misha, asking the right questions seems to be a key theme in your answers. And I love that concept. But what about questions of the fans, the audience? You've spoken a lot about how the focus needs to be on relevance and engagement and really holding attention with them. Do you find many brands are good at speaking directly to consumers and asking the right questions of the consumers directly, of those fans, of that audience, to really find out and to go deep on what's important to them?
2: Not enough. I think a lot of the brands expect the rights holder to do that because sponsorships are you know, just... Are, it's basically just one of many, many investments that they're making. It's rare that they themselves would be doing, you know, would be doing any sort of uh, investing any, t- any time or a resource into um, into really connecting with fans and finding out whether they, you know, whether they uh, like what, what what the brand is serving or not. Some of them do, more sophisticated ones do, but many of them don't. And I think that's that's where you miss the opportunity because you don't quite, when you don't have that feedback loop, it's quite hard it's hard to know whether what you're doing is working or not but typically you would know if you're you know if your content's engaging if if you're able to to take people th- on the journey and you can see you can see sales you can see you can you can measure other types of me- metrics you know things you know things are working so it's not always it's not necessarily about asking fans the questions i think it's more it's more about being more agile in how we execute so You know, if you have certain plans around content that you're going to put out, or the or or other types of activities, I think being able to measure the impact of those as more frequently, rather than letting twelve months go by, but maybe go by three months or six months, you can get or or hopefully more frequent, you can see uh, what you know, especially when it comes to social media, what kind of content or what kind of things that you're doing are really resonating with people, and you can double down on that, or you can pull back. So I think that's I think uh, what I would perhaps I'm not answering your question, but I think it's that kind of agility that you come with and and being able to react in real time and just see, hey, uh, because by the way, we don't know when we're going into it what some of the other partners are going to be doing, right? So they might be doing something similar. so we, we need to be we need to be able to adapt and not have this whole plan for twelve months that regardless of what's going on, we're going to execute. we need to be a bit more agile and and evaluate in real time, look at the, you know, look at the conversation on social media, see what how people are reacting to different types of executions and be able to say, hey, this is really working for us, we should do more of that, or people didn't really like that, we need to pull back and rethink. So, um, you know, perhaps it's less around direct questions and research and more around just utilizing a lot of the data and tools that are, that are available to them
1: well, Misha, speaking about the data and the tools, if people want to find out more about MediaCom and/or Creative Systems, or maybe keep the conversation going with you around this topic, what can they do? Where can they go for more information?
2: Certainly, I would encourage people to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can just search for me, Misha Share, and i would be happy to connect with anyone who wants to, who wants to explore more, or if they feels there might be some synergies with what we're doing. And certainly, check out our new website. Um, we've we've just uh, it's just recently been updated, and there's a lot of information on there about. What what creative systems is how we're thinking about this part of the industry. Uh, a lot of our work is 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 being uh, is being uploaded on there, and and you know I think it's it's a really really interesting time for our business. I think you'll hear a lot more about the work that we're doing in in different parts of the world. I'm I'm very excited about. It.
1: And, of course, listeners, there are links to Misha's LinkedIn profile and Mediacom's website at coresoftware.com. So just head along there and you can click on those links and make contact easily. Misha Cher, Global Head of Sport, Entertainment, and Culture at Mediacom. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a fantastic chat around creative in sponsorship.
0: It's
2: been great. I really enjoyed it, Daniel. Thanks very much for having me on.
1: For those that know me well, you'll know my background and qualifications are in marketing. And so to hear Misha talk about the importance of creative in sponsorship activation is music to my ears. As he mentioned, securing the sponsorship is just one part and the activation cannot simply be left to just go through the motions. Too often with sponsorship or any brand marketing channel for that matter, once the choice is made to use that channel, that tactic, creativity can go wanting. But now you, the listeners, have some great knowledge and advice to help ensure creativity sits front and center of your sponsorships. You can connect with Misha on LinkedIn. Just search for Misha Share at MediaCom. That's Misha, M-I-S-H-A, and Share, S-H-E-R. Or visit MediaCom.com to learn more about creative systems. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston, that's O Y S. T-O-N. And if you want to connect with Jordan Rutner, Research Marketing Manager at Core Software, who joined us earlier on in the show, you can catch him on jordan.rutner at coresoftware.com or search for him on LinkedIn as well. That's Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, Rutner, R-U-T-N-E-R. That's a wrap for episode 97. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.